Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Beautiful Joe by Margaret Marshall Saunders. Chapter 10. Billy's training continued. When Billy was five months old, he had his first walk in the street. Miss Laura knew that he had been well trained, so she did not hesitate to take him into the town. She was not the kind of a young girl to go into the street with a dog that would not behave himself, and she was never willing to attract attention to herself by calling out orders to any of her pets. As soon as we got down the front steps, she said quietly to Billy, to heal. It was very hard for little playful Billy to keep close to her when he saw so many new and wonderful things about him. He had become acquainted with everything in the house and garden, but this outside world was full of things he wanted to look at and smell, and he was fairly crazy to play with some of the pretty dogs he saw running about. But he did, just as he was told. Soon we came to a shop, and Miss Laura went in to buy some ribbons. She said to me, stay out, but Billy she took in with her. I watched them through the glass door and saw her go to a counter and sit down. Billy stood behind her until she said, lie down. Then he curled himself at her feet. He lay quietly, even when she left him and went to another counter. But he eyed her very anxiously till she came back and said, up, to him. Then he sprang up and followed her as she went out to the street. She stood in the shop door and looked lovingly down on us as we fawned on her. Good dogs, she said softly. You shall have a present. We went behind her again, and she took us to a shop where we both lay beside the counter. When we heard her ask the clerk for solid rubber balls, we could scarcely keep skill. We both knew what ball meant. Taking the parcel in her hand, she came out into the street. She did not do any more shopping, but turned her face toward the sea. She was going to give us a nice walk along the beach, although it was a dark, disagreeable, cloudy day when most young girls would have stayed in the house. The Morris children never minded the weather. Even in the pouring rain, the boys would put on rubber boots and coats to go out to play. Miss Laura walked along, the high wind blowing her cloak and dress about, and when we got past the houses, she had a little run with us. We jumped and frisked and barked till we were tired. Then we walked quietly along. A little distance ahead of us were some boys throwing sticks in the water for two Newfoundland dogs. Suddenly a quarrel sprang up between the dogs. They were both powerful creatures and fairly matched as regarded size. It was terrible to hear their fierce growling and to see the way in which they tore at each other's throats. I looked at Miss Laura. If she had said a word, I would have run in and helped the dog that was getting the worst of it. But she told me to keep back and ran on herself. The boys were throwing water on the dogs and pulling their tails and hurling stones at them, but they could not separate them. Their heads seemed locked together, and they went back and forth over the stones, the boys crowding around them, shouting and beating and kicking at them. "'Stand back, boys,' said Miss Laura. "'I'll stop them.' She pulled a little parcel from her purse, bent over the dogs, scattered a powder on their noses, and the next instant the dogs were yards apart, nearly sneezing their heads off. 
I say, missus, what did you do? What's that stuff? Ooh, it's pepper, the boys exclaimed. Miss Laura sat down on a flat rock and looked at them with a very pale face. Oh, boy, she said, why did you make those dogs fight? It is so cruel. They were playing happily till you set them on each other. Just see how they have torn their handsome coats and how the blood is dripping from them. "'Tain't my fault,' said one of the lads sullenly. "'Jim Jones there said his dog could lick my dog, and I said he couldn't, and he couldn't neither.' "'Yes, he could,' cried the other boy, "'and if you say he couldn't, I'll smash your face.' The two boys began sidling up to each other with clenched fists, and a third boy, who had a mischievous face, seized the paper that had the pepper in it, and running up to them, shook it in their faces.' There was enough left to put all thoughts of fighting out of their heads. They began to cough and choke and sputter, and finally sound themselves beside the dogs, where the four of them had a lively time. The other boys yelled with delight and pointed their fingers at them. A sneezing concert! Thank you, gentlemen! Encore! Encore! Miss Laura laughed, too. She could not help it, and even Billy and I curled up our lips. After a while, they sobered down and then finding that the boys hadn't a handkerchief between them, Miss Laura took her own soft one, and dipping it in a spring of fresh water nearby, riped the red eyes of the sneezers. Their ill humor had gone, and when she turned to leave to them and said coaxingly, "'You won't make those dogs fight any more, will you?' They said, "'No, siree, Bob.'" Miss Laura went slowly home, and ever afterward when she met any of those boys, they called her Miss Pepper." When we got home, we found Willie curled up by the window in the hall, reading a book. He was too fond of reading, and his mother often told him to put away his book and run about with the other boys. This afternoon, Miss Laura laid her hand on his shoulder and said, I was going to give the dogs a little game of ball, but I'm rather tired. Gammon and spinach, he replied, shaking off her hand. You're always tired. She sat down in a hall chair and looked at him. Then she began to tell him about the dog fight. He was very much interested, and the book slipped to the floor. When she finished, he said, You're a daisy every day. Go now and rest yourself. Then, snatching the balls from her, he called us and ran down to the basement. He was not quick enough, though, to escape her arm. She caught him to her and kissed him repeatedly. He was the baby and pet of the family, and he loved her dearly, though he spoke impatiently to her oftener than any of the other boys. We had a grand game with Willie. Miss Laura had trained us to do all kinds of things with balls, jumping for them, playing hide-and-seek, and catching them. Billy could do more things than I could. One of his games, I thought, was very clever. He played ball by himself. He was so crazy about ball play that he could never get enough of it. Miss Laura played all she could with him, but she had to help her mother with the sewing and the housework, and do lessons with her father, for she was only seventeen years old and had not left off studying. So Billy would take his ball and go off by himself. Sometimes he rolled it over the floor, and sometimes he threw it in the air and pushed it through the staircase railings to the hall below. He always listened till he heard it drop, and then he ran down and brought it back and pushed it through again. He did this till he was tired and then he brought the ball and laid it at Miss Laura's feet. We both had been taught a number of tricks. We could sneeze and cough and be dead dogs and say our prayers and stand in our heads and mount a ladder and say the alphabet. This was the hardest of all, and it took Miss Laura a long time to teach us. 
We never began till a book was laid before us. Then we would stare at it, and Miss Laura would say, Begin, Joe and Billy. Say, A. For A, we gave a little squeal. B was louder. C was louder still. We barked for some letters and growled for others. We always turned a somersault for S. When we got to Z, we gave the book a push and had a frolic about the room. When anyone came in and Miss Laura made us show off any of our tricks, the remark was always, What clever dogs! They are not like other dogs. That was a mistake. Billy and I were not any brighter than many a miserable cur that skulked about the streets of Fairport. It was kindness and patience that did it all. When I was with Jenkins, he thought I was a very stupid dog. He would have laughed at the idea of anyone teaching me anything. But I was only sullen and obstinate because I was kicked about so much. If he had been kind to me, I would have done anything for him. I loved to wait on Miss Laura and Mrs. Morris, and they taught both Billy and me to make ourselves useful about the house. Mrs. Morris didn't like going up and down the three long staircases, and sometimes we just raced up and down waiting on her. How often I have heard her go into the hall and say, Please send me down a clean duster, Laura. Joe, you get it. I would run gaily up the steps, and then would come Billy's turn. Billy, I have forgotten my keys. Go get them. After a time, we began to know the names of different articles and where they were kept and could get them ourselves. On sweeping days, we worked very hard and enjoyed the fun. If Mrs. Morris was too far away to call Mary for what she wanted, she wrote the name on a piece of paper and told us to take it to her. Billy always took the letters from the postman and carried the morning paper up to Mr. Morris's study, and I always put away the clean clothes. After they were mended, Mrs. Morris folded each article and gave it to me, mentioning the name of the owner so I could lay it on his bed. There was no need for her to tell me the names. I knew by the smell. All human beings have a strong smell to a dog, even though they mayn't notice them in themselves. Mrs. Morris never knew how she bothered me by giving away Miss Laura's clothes to poor people. Once I found her, followed her track all around town, and at last found it was only a pair of her boots on a ragged child in the gutter. I must say a word about Billy's tail before I close this chapter. It is the custom to cut the ends of fox terriers' tails, but leave their ears untouched. Billy came to Miss Laura so young that his tail had not been cut off, and she would not have it done. One day Mr. Robinson came in to see him, and he said, "'You've made a fine-looking dog of him.' but his appearance is ruined by the length of his tail. Mr. Robinson, said Mrs. Morris, patting little Billy, who lay on her lap, don't you think that this dog has a beautifully proportioned body? Yes, I do, said the gentleman. But, she said, if our creator made that beautiful little body, don't you think he was wise enough to know what length of tail would be in proportion to it? Mr. Robinson laughed and said that he thought that she and Miss Laura were both cranks. Chapter 11. Goldfish and Canaries The Morris boys were all different. Jack was bright and clever. Ned was a wag. Billy was a bookworm. And Carl was a born trader. He was always exchanging toys and books with his schoolmates, and they never got the better of him in a bargain. He said that when he grew up, he was going to be a merchant, and he had already begun to carry on a trade in canaries and goldfish. He was very fond of what he called his yellow pets, yet he never kept a pair of birds or a goldfish if he had a good offer for them. He slept alone in a large sunny room at the top of the house. 
by his own request it was barely furnished, and there he raised his canaries and kept his goldfish. He was not fond of having visitors coming to his room, because, he said, they frightened the canaries. After Mrs. Morris made his bed in the morning, the door was closed, and no one was supposed to go in till he came from school. Once, Billy and I followed him upstairs without his knowing it, but as soon as he saw us, he sent us down in a great hurry. One day, Bella walked into his room to inspect the canaries. She was quite a spoiled bird by this time, and I heard Carl telling the family afterward it was as good as a play to see Miss Bella strutting in with her breast stuck out and her little conceited air and her hear her say shrilly, "'Good morning, birds. Good morning. How do you do, Carl? Glad to see you, boy.' "'Well, I'm not glad to see you,' he said decidedly. "'And don't you ever come up here again. "'You'd frighten my canaries to death.' "'And he sent her flying downstairs. "'Ooh, how cross she was. "'She came shrieking to Miss Laura. "'Bad boy, poor Bella!' "'Miss Laura soothed and petted her, "'telling her to go find Davy, and he would play with her. "'Bella and the rat were great friends. "'It was very funny to see them going about the house together.' From the very first, she had liked him and coaxed him into her cage, where he soon became quite at home, so much so that he always slept there. About nine o'clock every evening, if he was not there with her, she went all over the house in search of him, crying, Davy, Davy, time to go to bed. Come sleep in Bella's cage. He was very fond of the nice sweet cakes she got to eat, but she could never get him to eat coffee grounds, the food she liked the best. Miss Laura spoke to Carl about Bella and told him he had hurt her feelings, so he petted her a little to make up for it. Then his mother told him that she thought he was making a mistake in keeping his canaries so much to themselves. They had become so timid that when she went into the room, they were uneasy till she left it. She told him that petted birds or animals are sociable and like company, unless they are kept by themselves when they become shy. She advised him to let the other boys go into the room, and to occasionally bring some of his pretty singers downstairs, where all the family could enjoy seeing and hearing them, and where they could get used to other people besides himself. Carl looked thoughtful, and his mother went on to say that there was no one in the house, not even the cat, that would harm his birds. "'You might even charge admission for a day or two, said Jack gravely, "'and introduce us to them, and make a little money.' Carl was rather annoyed at this, but his mother calmed him by showing him a letter she had just received from one of her brothers, asking her to let one of her boys spend his Christmas holidays in the country with him. "'I want you to go, Carl,' she said. He was very much pleased, but looked sober when he thought of his pets. "'Laura and I will take care of them,' said his mother, "'and start the new way of treating them.' "'Very well,' said Carl. "'I will go, then. "'I've no young ones now, so you won't find them much trouble.' I thought it was a great deal of trouble to take care of them. The first morning after Carl left, Billy and Bella and Davy and I followed Miss Laura upstairs. She made us sit in a row by the door, lest we should startle the canaries. She had a great many things to do. First, the canaries had their baths. They had to get them in at the same time every morning. Miss Laura filled the little white dishes with water and put them in the cages, and then came and sat on a stool by the door. Bella and Billy and Davy climbed into her lap, and I stood close by her. It was so funny to watch those canaries. They put their heads on one side and looked first at their little baths and then at us. They knew we were strangers. 
Finally, as we were all very quiet, they got into the water, and what a good time they had, fluttering their wings and splashing and cleaning themselves so nicely. Then they hopped up on their perches and sat in the sun, shaking themselves and picking at their feathers. Miss Laura cleaned each cage and gave each bird some mixed rape and canary seed. I heard Carl tell her before he left not to give them too much hemp seed, for that was too fattening. He was very careful about their food. During the summer, I had often seen him taking up nice green things to them. Celery, chickweed, tender cabbage, peaches, apples, pears, bananas. And now at Christmas time, he had green stuff growing in pots on the window ledge. Besides that, he gave them crumbs of coarse bread, crackers, lumps of sugar, cuttlefish to peck at, and a number of other things. Miss Laura did everything just as he told her, but I think she talked to the birds more than he did. She was very particular about their drinking water and carefully washed out the little glass cups that held it. After the canaries were clean and comfortable, Miss Laura set their cages in the sun and turned to the goldfish. They were in large glass globes on the window seat. She took a long-handled tin cup and dipped out the fish from one into a basin of water. Then she washed the globe thoroughly and put the fish back and scattered wafers of fish food on top. The fish came up and snapped at it and acted as if they were glad to get it. She did each globe, and then her work was over for one morning. She went away for a while, but every few hours through the day she ran up to Carl's room to see how the fish and canaries were getting on. If the room was too chilly, she turned on more heat, but she did not keep it too warm, for that would make the birds tender. After a time, the canaries got to know her and hopped gaily around their cages and chirped and sang whenever they saw her coming. Then she began to take some of them downstairs and let them out of their cages for an hour or two every day. They were very happy little creatures and chased each other about the room and flew on Miss Laura's head and pecked saucily at her face as she sat sewing and watching them. They were not at all afraid of me or Billy, and it was quite a sight to see them hopping up to Bella. She looked so large beside them. One little bird became ill while Carl was away, and Miss Laura had to give it a great deal of attention. She gave it plenty of hemp seed to make it fat, and very often the yolk of a hard-boiled egg, and kept a nail in its drinking water, and gave it a few drops of alcohol in its bath every morning to keep it from taking cold. The moment the bird finished taking its bath, Miss Laura took the dish from the cake, for the alcohol made the water poisonous. Then vermin came on it, and she had to write to Carl to ask him what to do. He told her to hang a muslin bag full of sulfur over the swing, so that the bird would dust down on its feathers. That cured the little thing, and when Carl came home, he found it quite well again. One day, just after he got back, Mrs. Montague drove up to the house with a canary cage carefully done up in a shawl. She said that a bad-tempered housemaid, in cleaning the cage that morning, had become angry with the bird and struck it, breaking its leg. She was very much annoyed with the girl and had dismissed her, and now she wanted Carl to take her bird and nurse it, as she knew nothing of canaries. Carl had just come in from school. He threw down his books, took the shawl from the cage, and looked in. The poor little canary was sitting in a corner. Its eyes were half shut. One leg hung loose, and it was making faint little chirps of distress. Carl was very much interested in it. He got Mrs. Montague to help him, and together they split matches, tore up strips of muslin, and bandaged the broken leg. He put the little bird back in the cage, and it seemed more comfortable. I think he will do now, he said to Mrs. Montague. 
but hadn't you better leave him with me for a few days? She gladly agreed to this and went away, after telling him the bird's name was Dick. The next morning at the breakfast table, I heard Carl telling his mother that as soon as he woke up, he sprang out of bed and went to see how the canary was. During the night, poor, foolish Dick had picked off the splints from his leg, and now it was as bad as ever. I shall have to perform a surgical operation, he said. I did not know what he meant, so I watched him when, after breakfast, he brought the bird down to his mother's room. He held it while he took a pair of sharp scissors and cut its leg right off a little way above the broken place. Then he put some Vaseline on the tiny stump, bound it up, and left Dick in his mother's care. All morning, as she sat sewing, she watched him to see that he did not pick the bandage away. When Carl came home, Dick was so much better that he had managed to fly up upon his perch and was eating seeds quite gaily. Poor Dick, said Carl, a leg and a stump. Dick imitated him in a few little chirps. A leg and a stump. Why, he is saying it too, exclaimed Carl, and burst out laughing. Dick seemed cheerful enough, but it was very pitiful to see him dragging his poor little stump around the cage and resting it against the perch to keep him from falling. When Mrs. Montague came the next day, she could not bear to look at him. Oh, dear, she exclaimed. I cannot take that disfigured bird home. I could not help thinking how different she was from Miss Laura, who loved any creature all the more for having some blemish. What shall I do, said Mrs. Montague? I miss my little bird so much. I shall have to get a new one. Carl, will you sell me one? I will give you one, Mrs. Montague, said the boy eagerly. I should like to do so. Mrs. Morris looked pleased to hear Carl say this. She used to fear sometimes that in his love for making money, he would become selfish. Mrs. Montague was very kind to the Morris family, and Carl seemed quite pleased to do her a favor. He took her up to his room and let her choose the bird she liked best. She took a handsome yellow one called Barry. He was a good singer and a great favorite of Carl's. The boy put him in the cage, wrapped it up well, for it was a cold, snowy day, and carried it out to Mrs. Montague's sleigh. She gave him a pleasant smile and drove away, and Carl ran up the steps into the house. "'It's all right, mother,' he said, giving Mrs. Moorish a hearty boyish kiss as she stood waiting for him. "'I don't mind letting her have it.' "'But you expected to sell that one, didn't you?' she asked." "'Mrs. Smith said maybe she'd take it when she came home from Boston, "'but I dare say she'll change her mind and get one there. "'How much were you going to ask for him?' "'Well, I wouldn't sell Barry for less than ten dollars, "'or rather I wouldn't have sold him,' and he ran out to the stable. "'Mrs. Morris sat on the hall chair, "'patting me in an absent-minded way as I rubbed against her. "'Then she got up and went into her husband's study "'and told him what Carl had done.' Mr. Morris seemed very pleased to hear about it, but when his wife asked him to do something to make up the loss to the boy, he said, I would rather not do it, to encourage a child in a kind action, and then to reward him for it is not always a sound principle to act upon. But Carl did not go without his reward. That evening, Mrs. Montague's coachman brought a note to the house addressed to Master Carl Morris. He read it aloud to his family. My dear Carl, I am charmed with my little bird, and he has whispered to me one of the secrets of your room. You want $15 very much to buy something for it. I'm sure you won't be offended with an old friend for supplying you with the means to get it. Ada Montague. 
Just the thing for my stationary tank for the goldfish, exclaimed Carl. I've wanted it for a long time. It isn't good to keep them in globes. But how in the world did she find out? I've never told anyone. Mrs. Morris smiled and said, Barry must have told her, as she took the money from Carl to put it away for him. Mrs. Montague got to be very fond of her new pet. She took care of him herself, and I have heard her tell Mrs. Morris the most wonderful stories about him, stories so wonderful that I should say they were not true if I did not know how intelligent dumb creatures get to be under kind treatment. She kept him in his cage only at night, and when she began looking for him at bedtime to put him there, he always hid himself. She would search a short time and then sit down, and he always came out of his hiding place, chirping in a saucy way to make her look at him. She said that he seemed to take delight in teasing her. Once, when he was in the drawing room with her, she was called away to speak to someone at the telephone. When she came back, she found that one of the servants had come into the room and left the door open leading to a veranda. The trees outside were full of yellow birds, and she was in despair, thinking that Barry had flown out with them. She looked out but could not see him. Then, lest he had not left the room, she got a chair and carried it about standing on it to examine the walls and see if Barry was hiding among the pictures and bric-a-brac. But no Barry was there. She at last sank down exhausted on a sofa. She heard a wicked little peep, and looking up, saw Barry sitting on one of the rounds of the chair she had been carrying about to look for him. He had been there the whole time. She was so glad to see him that she never thought of scolding him. He was never allowed to fly about the dining room during meals and the table-maid drove him out before she set the table. It always annoyed him, and he perched on the staircase watching the door through the railings. If it was left open for an instant, he flew in. One evening before tea, he did this. There was a chocolate cake on the sideboard, and he liked the look of it so much that he began to peck at it. Mrs. Montague happened to come in and drove him back to the hall. While she was having tea that evening with her husband and little boy, Barry flew into the room again. Mrs. Montague told Charlie to send him out, but her husband said, Wait, he is looking for something. He was on the sideboard, peering into every dish and trying to look under the covers. He is after the chocolate cake, exclaimed Mont Mrs. Montague. Here, Charlie, put this on the staircase for him. She cut off a little scrap, and when Charlie took it to the hall, Barry flew after him and ate it up. As for poor little lame Dick, Carl never sold him, and he became a family pet. His cage hung in the parlor, and from morning till night his cheerful voice was heard, chirping and singing as if he had not the trouble in the world. They took great care of him. He was never allowed to be too hot or too cold. Everyone gave him a cheerful word in passing his cage, and if his singing was too loud, they gave him a little mirror. He loved this mirror and often stood before it for an hour at a time. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Visit our website at www.enchantedlibrary.net to see our past books or to connect with us on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.